Welcome to the teaching time. I'm so glad that we're sharing this moment together. Everyday faith is transformational. Well, Charles Blondin enjoyed walking across them there in Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He would walk it frontwards. He would walk it backwards. He would moonwalk it before anybody knew to call it the moonwalk. He'd walk it on stilts. He would juggle. He would sit on a chair in the middle of, of the Niagara River as the falls cascaded behind him. He, on one occasion, took cooking utensils and made himself an omelet while on the middle of that tightrope, packed them back up again, had a little brunch, walked back to greet those who were onlookers. On one occasion, he grabbed a wheelbarrow and uh, he, he walked it across and back again from the falls. And he said to the crowd, who believes that I can take this wheelbarrow back and forth and back and forth? And they shouted and they uh, said, we believe, Blondin, Blondin. Who believes I can take a person in this wheelbarrow back and forth across the falls? We believe, go for it. Who will be that person? And there were crickets. <laughs> Until finally one individual raises their hand and says, you know, I'm not just going to talk the talk. I'm going to walk the walk. And uh, I'm going to take that walk with you, Blonde, and back and forth. Uh, we're going to let you take me across the falls in, uh, in that wheelbarrow. Well, at some point in time, our faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ, isn't just a bunch of talk. We're going to need to walk the walk. Here's what Romans 12 verse 1 says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Well, this verse begins with the word therefore. And great biblical scholars like to say, well, whenever you see therefore, you got to see what the therefore is there for. And the therefore is put there in view of God's mercy. So this is chapter 12. Chapters 1 and 11 in the book of Romans are, are great doctrine, are some of the greatest doctrinal statements that we have that define what it means to, to follow Christ and to put our faith in the living God. And then once you hit chapter 12, it takes this crucial point and begins to flip and it tells us how we live that faith out. And this is the hinge verse where all of that great doctrine to that uh, transformational living begin to take place. Now, Paul is the author of the book of Romans. For 25 years, Paul has been highly effective in planting churches in Asia, in Greece. He is amazing. He is writing this around 58 AD, and he's just, just outside of Corinth. He's in, he's in that Corinthian region as he's writing. He's completed those three missionary journeys. And what's happening right now, it is a time in the life of Paul where he can he can finally reflect. He's kind of got a sheltered in sort of moment right now. He's between things and he is saying, you know, I'm going to put down these great doctrinal truths and I'm going to lay them out and I'm going to share them with folks. Now, 
That's Paul, the author. Let's talk about who it's written to, the church in Rome. Now, we don't know exactly how the church in Rome started, but, but here's, here, this is just beautiful. See, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the word of God says this, Now, staying in Jerusalem were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, visitors from Rome. So there were Roman Jews in Jerusalem at the time when God's spirit fell upon the early church and the wonders and glories of God were declared in languages that everyone could understand. And so not only were there uh, Jewish Romans there, but there were also God-fearing Gentiles who had traveled from Rome as well. So when the people say, what must we do to be saved? Repent, Believe, be baptized, is what Peter says. And 3,000 were baptized that day. So you know that there were individuals from Rome that were baptized on that day, and they went back. And most likely, it is from these eyewitnesses who spent time in Jerusalem on that very first Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell are now the ones, it's this mixture of, of Jewish Christians and, and Gentile God-fearers who put their faith in Christ who began the church in Rome. Well, in 49 AD, Emperor Claudius kicks out the Jewish crowd out, out of Rome. Says, uh, yeah, you're not welcome here right now because what was taking place, they were exasperated of all the squabbles regarding Crestus, which most likely is a reference to, to Christ, whether he was the Messiah or not. And <laughs> Claudius told the Jewish folks to, to exit Rome. At the end of the book of Romans, in chapter 16, Paul gives greetings to all kinds of people who are in Rome, but he's never been to Rome. What has happened is Paul has met all kind of early Roman Christians who were living in other cities where he helped establish churches, and they've now gone back to Rome because they're welcome back. It's 58 AD right now. Um, check out what Paul says in Romans 10, verse 12. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on his name. Uh, as Claudius tells the Jewish folks to exit, the church in Rome becomes entirely Gentile-flavored and Gentile-led, and now they're brought back together again. And Paul, who is this faithful Jew, is also God's point man to open the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul wants to make sure that these two communities reconcile and are on the same page. Thus, the great doctrinal statements followed by the great themes of transformational living. Now, what happens in... The preceding chapters, I've got a few notes written right here. Uh, he, he talks to them about their interpersonal relationships, how they get along in the body of Christ, how they are to, uh, uh, it says in, uh, that we're part of the same body in uh, chapter 12, verse 4. In chapter 12, 19, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Uh, but if your enemy's hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. I remember this college experience once when I had a couple of friends and one of them, who was a senior, throws some water on my buddy who's a freshman. I'm a freshman at the time. And it happened a little bit later at night. And, and this one buddy of mine kind of yells out to the other, I'll get you! If it's the last thing I do, I will get you! 
And we could all hear it up and down our hall. And I'm tucked in for the night. And I say to my roommate, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And my roommate responds, yes, Jim, I'm thinking what you're thinking. So what we did, uh, what we did is we took a small trash can, filled it with water, propped it up against the door of the, of, of the individual who was told, I'm going to get you. And oh, so he opens up the door in the middle of the night. This little trash can of water kicks in. We get up the next day and the, the person who, I'm going to get you, we, we looked across the hall at his room and apparently things got wildly out of hand and, and this huge trash can of water had been tipped and dumped and propped up against their door. Oh my goodness. Uh, we, we eventually confessed that we were the instigators of that uh, before we graduated a few years later. But what was happening right now is if you start repaying someone evil for evil, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, eventually things just escalate and they get out of hand. And Paul is saying, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In chapter 13, it goes on to say, be subject to the ruling authorities. And it goes on to say this, and this one really hits close to home because I'm working on my taxes right now. And I'm, I'm, I, I lost a tax break that graduated from college last year. And it says, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe respect, pay respect. Oh goodness. How we get along with people in the body of Christ. How we get along with our enemies. How we get along with government authorities. How we get along with our neighbors. In Romans 13, 10, it says, love does no harm to a neighbor. May I talk to you right now about your closest neighbors? I think your closest neighbors aren't even the person who live next door to you. I believe your closest neighbors are the people who are right down the hall from you. So to your mom and dad, to your brother, to your sister, this is the place that you live out your transformative faith. This is, this is the place where an enemy could be somebody under your same roof. And you need to figure out how you love one another. <laughs> this is the time where you go, can I get you a hot tea? Can I pick that up? Maybe you just do it without making waves about it. Uh, to mow the grass, to do the laundry, to sweep out the garage, to speak kind and encouraging words, to uh, go the extra mile in some real kind of capacity is what it means to, uh, well, do the kind of things that the book of Romans says are spiritual acts of worship. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. What, what are God's mercies? The book of Romans says that, uh, let, me, let me just read some of the verses that are known to come out of the book of Romans that are called the, the Romans Road. There is no one righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But know that the gift of God is this. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That we realize that that God's gift is grace. The second part of the Roman road puts our hope in Christ, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And 
Once we understand that, it says if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe and are justified, and with your mouth you profess your faith and are saved. Oh my goodness, friends. That is in view of God's mercy. The transformational steps are this, that we view God's mercy. Second, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. We do things in the physical realm that show our spiritual acts of worship, which are the third transformational step. I believe this. I believe that before we wrap up this teaching time in this service today, that you are going to deeply embrace God's transformational work in your life. Well, friends, in our study in Romans chapter 12, I was walking through this commentary and I looked at the name and went, hey, I know Clarence Bud Bents. And we're going to talk to the fella who wrote the book on the book of Romans and in, uh, in giving some, some insight. And this was a great book. I, I, there was, it was dynamite, Bud. But I want to ask you this question. Living sacrifices. Living sacrifice, our bodies are to be offered up as a spiritual act of worship. We might not get that in our culture. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, and I think we'd have to go back almost to the beginning of time to talk about this. I think God built within us a certain sense of what we call justice. There, there's a sense of fairness. And when somebody wrongs somebody else, especially when somebody wrongs us, one of the first responses that we often give is, somebody's going to have to pay for this. There's a sense that it isn't enough just to walk up to somebody and say, oops, sorry, messed that one up. No, somebody will say, there ought to be a payment for this. There ought to be a little bit of hurt someplace in this situation. And when God was dealing with his people Israel, he, he wanted justice. He's not only a God of love, he's a God of justice and fairness. And so he said, there ought to be some way that you pay. Not, not a pound of flesh. He does, God doesn't want to take it out of us. Some people think that and they, they cut themselves or hurt themselves. God says, no, my point is not to hurt you. My point is to say that sin, doing the wrong thing, hurts and it needs to be paid for. So he asked them to take something that was valuable in their life, one of their sheep, a lamb, and to sacrifice it. That, that meant that they, they had to watch the lamb suffer. They had to watch the lamb died. They lost the lamb. And so out of this comes a sense of to make things right, there has to be a payment, a sacrifice. Now, and Paul knew that. He grew up with that whole system in mind. But at some point, he had an encounter with Christ and, and the lights went on and he said, oh, God gave the ultimate sacrifice in his son. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God. And God said, yes, it's going to cost something to, to, to pay for all of the sins of the world. I'll, I'll give my son, like Abraham, like I asked Abraham if he was willing to give his son. Only if you remember the story of Abraham, there was a, there was a ram in the bushes that kept Isaac from dying. This time God says, I've got to let it all out. And he watched his son die on the cross for our sins. So Paul says... We still need a sacrifice, but we don't need those dead lamb sacrifices. 
And for heaven's sakes, we don't need to kill ourselves. What we need to become is living sacrifices. Every day of our life, we say, God, if it weren't for you, I'd screw up so many ways. And so you must accept me, my life, what I do, the way I behave as a sacrifice of gratitude, of thanksgiving for what Jesus has done to take care of my sins. Does that make sense, Pastor Jim? It does. I love how you connect the ancient modern in it. Uh, it, it fits our lives today. Uh, and then we go on to understand in that second verse that there is a new way of thinking, that there is a uh, renewal of our minds that is taking place. We're not going to be conformed to the world anymore, but our minds are going to be transformed. Do you have a present reality to help us understand that truth? The one that most often is used because the very word that Paul used here is the word metamorphosis. So everybody thinks butterflies, Jim. They, they say, oh, it's like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. I'm not sure that works as well because that's kind of a natural process that takes place. I've got a one that works for me. I'm an old PC fan. I've, I've always had a PC in my life. 25 years, and my kids said, Dad, you got to come up to speed. You got to be the new person. So all of a sudden, we switched to Apple. And now I have a PC, and now I have an Apple. They're both computers. They both compute, but they have different operating systems, Jim. And you got to learn the new operating system. And the problem is that for 23 years, PC has, has forced, Microsoft has forced me into their mold of thinking. So I know how to delete. I know how to copy things. And then I get this Apple, and it does the same things, but it does them differently. That's what happens. I think that's what Paul is saying is that you ought to be transformed. Don't, don't be hung up with that old operating system of the world. You've got to come to a new operating system. Now, you need somebody to help you every once in a while. I'm doing something and I get frustrated and I have this wonderful helper called Carol who says, Bud, you're not on a PC anymore. This is an apple. You got to run it like an apple. In my spiritual life, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. When I'm trying to do things the way the world does them or I used to do them, all of a sudden there's this little Holy Spirit that renews my mind. Remember, Paul says it's, it's the renewing of your mind that takes place. And, and like Carol reminds me about the apple, the Holy Spirit reminds me that I am now a transformed person in Christ. Bud, start operating like you are a believer. And... Uh, Sometimes I fall back into the old PC and have to be pulled back into, into the new way of doing things. But if any person, the Bible tells us, is in Christ, they become a new person. They have a new operating system. Isn't that awesome? That we can operate on God's system and not the world's. Amen to that. And I, and I do think our tech people appreciate that you equated the worldly system with the, with the PC and the, the Spirit of God with the, with the Apple system. Maybe we'll see what kind of discussions come from that. But that was great. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Greetings to all my friends up in Allendale. I invite you to pray a prayer that seeks God's continual renewal and transformation in your life. For those who've never 
cross the line of faith. You can, you can pray this in a way that you're asking God to forgive you of your sins, that you want to follow him. You can make this your prayer of commitment to the Lord. But I want to invite everyone to pray this out loud in this moment. Oh, loving Lord, even though I know you and accept you as Lord and Savior, I don't want to fall into a routine. So I come to you seeking a fresh new perspective, not to throw away past lessons, but for your spirit to rebuild and breathe new life into my faith. Show me how to do this. Let me open myself completely to your voice, the voice that tells me God is love and in Christ all things are new. Renew me, restore me, break me down if needed, then let me fall in love again, O Lord, trusting in your promises. Now a bit more mature and solid in the ways of the master, but still with so much to learn. Let my joy be a deeper joy, one that celebrates and gives thanks. Let my love be a deeper love, one that receives and gives life. May it all start and end with my Lord, my God, my Savior, Jesus Christ. In his holy name, amen.